New Testament reading this morning, it comes from the, the gospel. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Mark. And we find um, Mark in the third chapter, verses 20 through 35. If you want to follow on your pew Bibles, you can. It's on page 37 of the New Testament section. The, um, in Mark, you may recall that he doesn't have a, in Mark's gospel, there's, there's not a nativity scene. So in the third chapter of Mark, Mark starts with Jesus' baptism and just jumps right into the, into the ministry. So the third chapter of Mark, we've already gotten into the, um, the, the heat the, in the heart of um, some of Jesus' ministry. He's healed people. He's ministered to them. He's preached to them. And so now we jump right down there in the middle of the, um, of right here in the middle of one of Jesus' healing and one of the stories of Jesus that went on his journey. And um, that's where we find ourselves this morning. Again, in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30, 35. So I'll begin. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again, so they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom of God, if, the, if a kingdom, excuse me, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whom, whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit can never be, have forgiveness. But is guilty of eternal sin. For they had said, he has unclean spirit. Then... His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, You are my brother, I mean, you are my mother and my brothers. And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Now you wonder, right here in between Mother's Day and Father's Day, why I would not just leave this passage for, for one of those holidays. Well, maybe that would have been a little bit tricky. We'll see what we can do with this passage this morning. What, let, me, let me ask you all this. What is JBS meat processing plant? New York City subway system, Steamship Authority, United Healthcare, Scripps Health, and Colonial Pipeline all have in common. They've all been hacked, exactly, they've all been hacked, cyber hacked, attacked over the last couple months. Each of these businesses has been disrupted. But cyber attack disruptions um, cost the global economy over $1 trillion a year. That is up more than 50% in the last three years. As we know, with the Colonial Pipeline attack, 
These disruptions not only affect company bottom lines, but they affect our daily lives as well, too. Steamship Authority provides ferry systems in Massachusetts, affecting commutes and transportations. Scripps Health Attack disrupted not only the portal, uh, patient portal, but the radiology system, canceling appointments and delaying treatments. And who knows what this recent tax on JBS will do to the price of and availability of meat. Perhaps, perhaps our life is just full of large and small disruptions. There's a global disruptions, such as cyber attack and COVID-19. And then there's those personal disruptions, divorce, a bad medical diagnosis, babies. This is costly disruptions, babies, transmissions, roofs, air conditions. And then there's the daily disruptions, overbearing bosses, cell phones at the dinner table, a loss of sleep. We've all have come accustomed to disruptions in life, except for a church. At church, at church, we don't like disruptions much, so we make stained glass windows to block the world around us. You know, we can come in here and wholly be present. But I wonder, I wonder if we've ever considered that Jesus is a disruptor. Sure. We can say all the time that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, Body, Shepherd, Redeemer. Some might even say that Jesus is a, a vagabond. But a disruptor? In 1948, W.H. Alden was the first foreign poet to win the Pulitzer Prize for this age of anxiety, which includes a haunting refrain. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. God is always seeking ways to not only enter into our lives, but to disrupt our lives. This is why God sends Jesus to earth. Not to just be a disruptor for the sake of disrupting, but to pry open our clenched fist free of every love, loyalty, agenda, or cause. Anything that we hold on to more than we hold on to God. Notice where Jesus is standing physically throughout the entire passage we read this morning. Or better yet, notice how ambiguous the gospel writer Mark is when it comes to where Jesus is standing. Is, is Jesus dining inside? If he's dining inside, it's clear that Jesus' family is on the outside. Or sometimes it appears that Jesus is eating outside. And then it appears that Jesus' family comes from the inside and goes to the outside to help Jesus. 
And at other times, it appears that both Jesus and his family are on the outside, but at which time, when they're both on the outside, they're separated by the crowd. Jesus' dining points to us the primary focus of this passage this morning. No matter how good and noble our loyalties are, God does not necessarily need or see the props in life that we use. They keep all of our world an illusion to be helpful and to make it us faithful disciples. We name relationships, vocations, money, values, imagination, charity, loyalty, patriotism, happiness, sadness, our past, our future, um, spending, health, worship, achievement, success, individualism, authority. No matter the prop that we have, Jesus disrupts. But not without making a promise to you and to me of comfort and support and upholding us. Even when Jesus disrupts family. Matthew Skinner is a professor at Luther Seminary. He's observed. If you're looking for a snapshot of a well-adjusted and happy family from the ancient world, the Bible is probably not the best place to start on your short list. Consider even Jesus' family. The New Testament uh, preserves evidence suggesting that Jesus' relationship with his family perhaps at times were rather strained. In our passage this morning, the common English Bible records it this way. When his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying, he's out of his mind. Christian tradition has had a difficult time coming to terms with this. Coming to terms that Jesus disrupts even our image of family. Consider what translators have done to this verse. In the King James Version, it reads it this way. And when his friends heard of it, not family, when his friends have heard of it, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is beside himself. The New um, Revised Standard Version from which we read puts the despairment of Jesus in the mouths of others, saying, when his family heard of it, they went out to restrain him, for the people were saying he was out of his mind. All of this to say, for those of us who prefer to ignore a Jesus who disrupts our most cherished relationships and our most cherished loyalties, all of us are in good company. For a long time. But Jesus does not only disrupt family. Jesus disrupts every single border of our lives. About seven or eight years ago, the world's largest family detention center opened in Dilly, Texas to hold women and children from Central America. 
By midsummer, troubling stories started coming from this camp. A child with a dislocated shoulder was told by doctors to tomorrow must agua, to drink more water. A mother with broke, two broken fingers was told the exact same thing. Almost every one of these nearly thousand detainees were solemn seekers. Most ex experiencing escaping of gang violence, sexual abuse, domestic violence. And yet they remain in prison. Children growing up in a jail. While the mothers talk to lawyers, the children are usually shown kids' uh, movies dubbed in Spanish. The most popular movie at that summer was Frozen. The children detained there, like children everywhere, um, started taking up singing this song, Let It Go. The Spanish refrain to this beloved kid's song is Let Brasori, Let Brasori which literally means, I am free, I am free. All over the detention center, hundreds of little kids passionately singing their favorite Disney song, Let It Brasori, Let It Brasori, disrupting the definition of freedom. Not only in the detention center, but all over the world. I am the first to admit that these issues like immigration are extremely complicated. And they will never be solved in a 15-minute sermon. But let us all be prepared. As subjects like immigration and borders and race and wages and money and family and community and success and loyalties, as all of them are being discussed and weighed in our minds, whatever closely held position that we hold on to, know that Jesus is disrupting it. That Jesus is inviting us to go deeper than our careful, crafted opinions. Jesus is inviting me to listen to you and you to listen to me. Jesus is inviting us to read the scripture together and to listen to this living word as it continues to shape and disrupt the world around us. You know, I've never bought into the idea that we come to church to confirm our imagination of God or our view of the world. I don't buy into that idea because I believe that the Holy Spirit brings us to church. And if the Holy Spirit is in communion with Jesus, then the Holy Spirit brings us to church so Jesus can disrupt our lives. Episcopal priest Robert Kappen, not long before his death in 2013, he wrote, the good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. Jesus does not change people into wide-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. And so if Christianity is simply about being nice, I'm not interested. What happened? 
What happened to that radical Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the, the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter the consequences, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever Jesus went? What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with passions and gratitude? And who every day were unable to get over the grace of God. I'm waiting for Christianity, he continued. I am waiting for, for Christianity that disrupts my life. And captures my heart. And in early in Jesus' ministry, Jesus disrupts. Every loyalty that the disciples had, the crowd, and his family. With one piece of advice and two parables. All suggesting that the loyalties that we cherish, as life-enhancing and as nice as they may be, they have no chance if held up by our own props. Sooner or later, they will all crumble. And to save us from such destruction, Jesus disrupts. Beginning with his own family. And as life-giving as Jesus' disruptions are, they're never easy. They take time and patience. They take love. And trust and faith. A few years ago, a church in the Midwest hired a consultant to help review the congregation's practices and help guide them as they solved a new vision for ministry. He worked with a session to create a guided conversation, online surveys, that, and, he, and he spent time with them praying. And he went to all their ministries throughout the week observing. He finally emailed his report back, and everyone was eagerly scrolled to get this report. And you know what we do when we scroll to get reports like this? We always go to the very end where it says next steps. And there at the very end it said next steps. It said, number one, quit thinking like a family. Someone immediately picked up the phone and called the consultant we're concerned about your report, they told him. I don't think you understand who we are. We are a church. We're a family. His response, the purpose of the church is to be, to be both transformative in society and in individual lives, to be more Christ-like. This concept goes way beyond family. Jesus knew that. We see that in the Gospels. We need to learn that over and over and over and over. But Jesus, Jesus is not anti-family. In fact, Jesus is determined that we all have a family. Our human families, for all of his virtues, they're just too small. Too confined. To be on par with the kingdom of God. 
God causes it. He's immersed into a family bigger and more demanding than the one which we are all born into. And so miles and miles and miles and months and months after Jesus disrupted his family, he comes to the very end of his life still thinking about family. John's gospel records it this way. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the, the, the wife of Clappus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. As Jesus breathes his last breath, Jesus brings us into this intimate response to his original family disruption. This is your mother. This is your son. A disruption that was completed with the cross. A disruption that is proclaimed by the saving love and grace of Jesus Christ. As Jesus gently pulls back our closely held grips that separate us from God, ourselves, and one another. Whispering in our ears, Lebra estes, Lebra estes. You are free. You are free. I've got you. Lebra estes. <laughs>